You're in with the ghost of radio. Welcome back to this, our shared podcast, where we gather around a cauldron, not just a cauldron, but the cauldron of mid-century horror radio, boiling full of episodes that we will pull out one at a time, week at a time, at random, to listen to together in our own ways and times. Come back here, discuss, hit some clips, make sense, and joy, right? You remember. Let's jump in there. This week, our episode is called You Can Die Laughing from Suspense. You Can Die Laughing from Suspense? Is that what it was? Oh, I feel that we are all scratching our heads thinking, wait a second, that sounds very familiar. Where have we heard that before with a slightly different name? Well, you can mull that over while you go to listen. How do you do so? Well, you know what to do. You go to the internet. In that URL space, you can type relicradio.com. They have everything or archive.org, the Internet Archive, or use a non-tracking search engine and just type in Suspense Radio Single Episodes, and you will come almost immediately to this episode. You listen as you will, and then you come back here to discuss. If that sounds good, then off you go. See you soon. All right, we are all back from listening to You Can Die Laughing, right? (laughs) We didn't listen to I'll Die Laughing from the Sealed Book. Remember the very first episode of Season 2? It was called I'll Die Laughing. It was from the Sealed Book. It was awesome. We loved that episode so much. Now, that, if it's Sealed Book, uh, well, it could have had a lengthy runtime. It came first, I'm pretty sure. Sealed Book had uh, a fairly short run, but it was in syndication for a long time. I think that's right. I don't have time to ghost it right now. It came first. And this episode from Suspense, which is from 1960, is that it? Clearly comes much later. And they clearly, it's from 1961, they clearly knew about I'll Die Laughing from the sealed book. They have the lead male character who is so despised do the exact same laugh as our hero does in I'll Die Laughing. They decided to turn the story on its head by having the wife narrate it. Well, we've already made our own decisions about whether we think this was a good idea or not, haven't we? What did you make of it? Let me belatedly ask. (sighs) We're just going to have to start out at the very beginning, listen to it together a little bit, and try to answer that question as we go along. Let's start with a clip of the intro to this suspense episode where the sponsor is Pepsi. Oh, boy, I think a lot of us are familiar with these ads, the For Those Who Think Young ads. That was their jingle. And they really, oh, man, the 60s were so bad so immediately 
for sexism. The baby doll sex kitten voice. There was no such thing as overdoing that in the 60s. And now, a tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Name, Betty Willoughby. Mrs. Herbert Willoughby. 35, tall, blonde, beautifully groomed, self-controlled, neat, efficient. A perfect lady in every respect. Lady Macbeth was a lady, too. In a moment, act one of You Can Die Laughing. Starring Evelyn Juster and Larry Haynes. And written especially for Suspense by Robert Arthur. The lively crowd today agrees. Those who think young say Pepsi, please. They pick the right one, the modern light one. Now it's Pepsi. For those who think young, so go ahead and pick the drink that lets you drink young as you think. Yes, get the right one, the modern light one. Now it's Pepsi. For those who think young. Yes, Pepsi could try, but Coke would almost immediately blow them out of the youth water with their real thing, the real thing ads. I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Oh, Pepsi, you'll never learn. (laughs) Always the gimbal to Coke's Macy's. At any rate, we get right into the story as our lead character explains herself and does a flashback immediately to her husband, and we're really overdosed on his laugh. They they do a lot more of the laughing here than Sealed Book did in their episode. I think they overdo it just a little. But then again, in this suspense episode, he's not a hero. The husband is, you know, he seems to just be a jerk. Whereas, We really loved the guy in the sealed book. So let's let her tell us what's up and let's get through the laughing as best we can. If it's meant to put us on her side, that seems wrong. Don't want to be on the side of a heartless murderer. What's worse, hearing him laugh a lot or hearing her say, Jack? Many people have a totally wrong idea about ladies. They think ladies merely sit around looking helpless. On the contrary, ladies are trained. They can do anything they have to, run a large household or commit murder. And whether she's giving a dinner for 50 or killing her husband, a lady is efficient. So naturally, when I decided to kill my husband, Herbert, I planned every detail in advance very carefully. Oh, I don't want you to think I decided to kill him for no reason. You see, there was Jack. Jack Holden. Dear, sweet Jack. But Jack was only the direct cause of my decision. The indirect cause. The thing that for years had made me wish Herbert dead was Herbert's laughing. Herbert was what men call a jolly, good-natured man. And he loved vulgar, practical jokes. 
He was always laughing, laughing, until I thought I would scream. <laughs> oh, I tell you, Barry, you missed a great show. That was a great show. <laughs> Answer or else with jolly George Gordon. Yeah? What a comedian that fellow is. <laughs> Laugh, I always died laughing. I'm afraid he doesn't amuse me, Herbert. Those moronic stunts. Oh, what do you mean, moronic? You, you should have seen him tonight. Listen, this young couple, see, a, a young couple. They're just married, right? So he gives them a brand new car for a wedding present and a complete set of luggage and clothes, and he sent them off on Hollywood. Well, what's so funny about that? Well, well the, then he reported to the police that the car and the clothes and the luggage were all stolen. Herbert, I don't think it's funny. Ooh, thank goodness that's over. Well, when he stops laughing, Herbert has enough time to tell Betty that Jack is uh, guilty of embezzlement, and Herbert's going to have him arrested. So Betty moves quickly to prevent that. Oh, no, don't arrest him before you go to Mexico. This gets me. Who will run the company while you are gone if you arrest the guy who's been embezzling? That doesn't seem like a persuasive argument. Like, the company will fall apart while you're gone if the guy who's been stealing from it doesn't remain in charge. But Herbert goes for it. He's even going to Mexico, which is what they do in I'll Die Laughing, for the Aztec gold, the Aztec well. the Oh, the devil's well, yes, with the Aztec gold in it. I can't believe they didn't bring up Aztec gold in this episode, but they did not. In the next scene, they reverse the roles. As we know in I'll Die Laughing, uh, the skeevy friend whose name I can't remember is really the take charge person who says, we have to kill your husband. And I remember the wife's name, Laura. He says to her, you know, I don't want to marry you if you don't have any money. So we don't want to, you to get a divorce because then you won't have any money. And then what's the point <laughs> of us being together? And here... Uh, Betty, who actually says that. I don't want to get a divorce from Herbert because I want his money. And you do too, don't you, Jack? And of course, Jack does want that money, so they embark on their evil plan. But I couldn't let Herbert put Jack in jail. Dear, handsome Jack. Oh, he'd made these last few years worth living for me. By thinking fast, I got Herbert to postpone accusing Jack. Now I had to think of how to prevent it entirely. And in the end, I saw that there was only one way. The next day, Jack slipped away from the office to come out to the house to talk. He said he was going to send me to jail? He said you'd be behind bars for ten years, darling. Oh, great. Betty, Betty, maybe, maybe if I throw myself on his mercy... Mercy? Mm. Oh, he has no mercy... Underneath that donkey laugh, he's as merciless as a shark. Oh, he'll send you to jail, and what will become of me? Mm, well, why should anything happen to you? Well, when the detectives start investigating you, they'll find out about us. Oh, yeah. Then he'll throw me out without a penny. No, Jack, we can't let him. We've, we've got to stop Herbert. Stop him? How? Well, there's only one way. We have to kill him. When I said we have to kill him, oh, I was being very direct. I meant to kill Herbert, and I said so. I had the whole scheme worked out. 
we do it the night Herbert was supposed to leave for Mexico. And for getting rid of him afterwards, well, the old ruin of a supposedly haunted house Herbert owned out in the swampy woods would be ideal. My plan, like all good plans, was simple and direct. And when Jack saw there was no alternative, he agreed. All right. All right, Betty. We'll get rid of him the night he starts for Mexico. He'll leave here, never get there. Now, the way that the murder of Herbert unrolls up to the point where they think they have killed him, right, is 1,000% out of the movie Double Indemnity. Just, just about 100%. Let's say it's 999%. The death itself is just slightly different, but mostly it's just lifted right out of there. So (laughs) this episode is borrowing heavily from two other sources. It's still fairly good. You feel the tension. What makes it work is what actually comes later, which first time around, of course, you don't know about, which is that he is not actually dead yet. They could have done so much more with that. Oh, well, let's wait. Let's wait till we get there. You have to murder a guy before you can realize he's not dead. (laughs) That kills me, I tell you. Here's here's another good one. The the little moron, the little moron, see, he says, he asked, what did the first wall say to the second wall? (laughs) Will you give up, Betty, Jack? Yeah, sure. Yes, uh, Herbert, we give up. What did the first wall say to the second wall? Why, it said, meet you at the corner. (laughs) You get it? Meet you at the corner. (laughs) Um, Excuse me, Mr. Willoughby. (laughs) Mr. Willoughby. Uh, Yeah, what is it, Jack? I'm afraid we uh, may miss your train. Uh, My watch says 818. It does? Mm -hmm. Mine says 8, exactly. Hey, look, Betty, my watch is slow. We'll miss my train to New York. I'll never get to the airport on time. I'll tell you what. Let's drive to Ridgeville instead and take the train there. Ridgeville? Yes, there's an express that stops there at 8.45. We'll take that instead of the local. Oh, yeah, sure, that's right. You know, sweetheart, you got a good head on it. Come on, Jack, help me with my bags. Twenty minutes later, we were parked in the darkness at the far end of the Ridgeville station. I had deliberately set Herbert's watch back while he was dressing so he'd miss his usual train. Now we watched him go in to buy his ticket. Betty, I I don't think I can go through with this. Of course you can. Isn't it better than ten years in jail? Suppose we're caught. I've planned everything and we can't be caught. Now Herbert's in there buying his ticket. This is an express. It's crowded. Later, no one will be sure if he was on it or not. The police will simply assume he was on it. Yes, I suppose they will. I know they will. Now, later tonight, you'll take his bags to New York and check them in a pay locker at the station. Mm-hmm. When they're found, the evidence is all clear. He reached New York safely and vanished. Hundreds of people vanish in New York every year. No one will ever connect us with it. All right. All right, Betty. Here he comes. I'd better get out and be waiting. Well, I got the ticket. You got my bags out, Jack? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Willoughby. I dropped the key to the luggage compartment in the back of the car, and we can't well, find it. Dropped it in the back of the car? How'd you do that? Well, it was my fault. Jack reached into the window for the keys, and they slipped out of my fingers. Oh, well, for... Oh, here comes my train. Light a match and find the keys. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. I don't have a match. Oh, for Pete's sake, what kind of an idiot are you? Here, let me look. I got a lighter. You got to hurry. 
Now, where did you drop them? I don't see anything. I can't imagine how any guy can be stupid enough to drop them. Are they pushing into the car? Here I am. Grab his car. Close the door. He's dead. He's dead. Relax, darling. The worst is over. That's that is a creepy voice. I wouldn't quite trust the person who said that to me in that way. Well, they go. Their plan is that they will take his body to this old run-down house that he owns, that he always says is his haunted mansion. And they will bury it in the basement there, and nobody will ever know what happened to him. He will just be another guy who disappeared in New York City. So they go, they dig the inevitable hole in the cellar. Oh, how many cellars litter the landscape of mid-century horror radio and a lot of the TV. Boy, digging a grave in the cellar, we first encountered that with Murder Castle in season one, and it just keeps coming, doesn't it? (laughs) Very reliable meme. So we're going to hear them digging again. It's Betty who remains in control here, and she whips Jack through the process. In the trunk of the car, we had tools and electric lanterns. Leaving Herbert until we were ready, Jack and I entered the crazy, ruined old house and went down the creaking steps into the cellar. There we selected a spot underneath the cellar stairs. Jack began to dig. Isn't this deep enough, Oh, yes, of course. And anyway, we have to hurry. We still have to get to the Rexfords later. All right, give me a hand. Help me out of here. Thanks. What about the Rexfords? Did you forget? This is the night Herbert's silly gag is going to be used on the Answer or Else program. The Rexfords are going to be watching. We have to be there. Great. Well, we better hurry. Yeah. All right, come on. Let's go get Herbert. All right. I still have to drive to New York with those bags after the Rexfords' party. We went back up the steps and out to the car to where we'd left Herbert lying beneath a tree. And we stopped. I felt as if a great fist had seized my heart. I was trying to stop it. Herbert was gone. In a moment, the concluding act of... That is really well done. As plot twists go, you do not expect that. And I think the narration they give her at that moment is really good. Good place to stop. Though, did you feel like this was the penultimate section of this episode? To hear that we will be back with the conclusion seems very rushed. This happens a lot with late suspense. Um, This is from 1961, did we say? They wrapped it up in 62. And I find that in those last few years, they don't say, this is the end of part one. Here's part two. This is the end of part two. Let's hear the conclusion. You just hear the first half of the story, and then they say, now the conclusion. And it gives this real sense of speed that is strangely powerful. If it's a good episode, you think, oh man, I don't have to wait much longer for the cool payoff I know is coming. When it's an episode that's floundering, it actually gives you hope. Like, oh, okay, 
This is kind of drifting. It's not very good, but they're about to wrap it up. So maybe they are going to pull out some kind of stop and make it work. So it is a funny little tiny thing that only happens in late, later day suspense. It's very interesting to consider, but we can't spend too much time on it because we have to be swept into the easy listening wonderland of this love story crooned to Chase and Sanborn Coffee. Uh, the singers had his share of pure coffee nectar. <laughs> Enjoy the richness of the pure coffee nectar in new instant Chasen Sanborn. The rich new instant from Chasen Sanborn. Fine coffee for nearly 100 years. I do. Oh, wait. No, it is just coffee. All right. The next scene is pretty amazing. It's not long, is it? But it is jam packed. They're trying to figure out what happened. Where is Herbert? And he calls out to them and says, I'm over here. I crawled away. This is as far as I could get. And then he says, I guess I wasn't as dead as you thought. So he knows, he remembers, obviously, that they tried to kill him. He wakes up in the trunk of a car. He tries to get away, but then he decides that he will just reveal himself. He calls over to them, hey, I'm over here. (laughs) Why? He must have realized where he was, that he was very injured, if not dead, and the chances of anyone finding him were nil, and that Betty and Jack would soon come back to the car and finish him off, and so his mind worked quickly. He used the last of his strength, to get out. They must have let the trunk open. He hauls himself out. He crawls away, knowing it will scare them. And he decides to teach them a lesson by giving them that scare. This super harkens back to I'll Die Laughing, right? Where the whole trip to Mexico was actually his plan to teach his wife and her lover a lesson. Very different here. But just like our hero in sealed book, here Herbert does die laughing. And we will get the full impact of that on Betty at the very end of the story, right? The fact that he dies in the middle of his laugh effectively (laughs) ends her life right there. So it's going to be something she cannot forget. Oh, it's a lot in a small scene. Let's listen. Someone has found his body. No, no, that's impossible. We'd have heard them. Let me think. Let me think. Yes. Hmm? Of course he must have revived. He wasn't dead. And he's escaped. No. Look. These marks on the ground. He must have been crawling. Well, he couldn't have gone far. We've got to look for him. Jack, shine your light around. This way, toward the road. Oh, what? No, this way, Betty, my (gasps) dear. I'm over here. Herbert. Setting up against a rock. This is as far as I could get. I wasn't as dead as you thought, my dear. 
<laughs> it's a good joke on you to find me gone, wasn't it? <laughs> the expression on your face is... <laughs> had his final joke. He even died laughing. Ah, but it's not his final joke, is it? Because now we are rolling through to the end, and we are at last learning what it was that he sold to that TV show, what that gag was. Betty had cut Herbert off earlier when he tried to tell her, right? It clearly went through his mind when he regained consciousness in the trunk of that car, like, oh, they have brought me here to bury my dead body. Oh, that is funny. That is hilarious. So while the chances of Herbert being rescued before they could bury him were nil, he knew the chances of him being discovered, vindicated, and Betty and Jack being brought to their rightful fate were 100%. That was what he was laughing at at the end. Betty and Jack go down into the basement. He finds a gum wrapper down there. He's like, this is new. Someone's been down here, but Betty won't listen. Oh, so frequently she won't listen. As we roll through this ending, we see the consequences of her single-minded determination to run the show. And so, folks, there go our four pair of contestants on tonight's special stunt. Eight happy people without an idea what they're getting into. And now, Jolly George is going to let all of you out there into the plot. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. You see, We've just sent those four couples out with road maps and picks and shovels to dig for buried treasure. What they don't know is they're going to wind up in the cellar of a haunted house. Yes, sir, the first ones to get to that haunted house and dig in the right part of the cellar will find a chest with $5,000 in it. Dig in the cellar. Some treasure, eh? But to test their nerves, while they're digging, we're going to broadcast into that house all the ghostly noises you can think of. Howling dogs and clanking chains and squeaking doors and everything. Hey, that's not a bad gag. Aren't we just devils? Our special thanks to Herbert Willoughby of Connecticut for thinking of the stunt and lending us his own haunted house in the woods for it. We buried the chest there a week ago and that? carefully oh, no. removed any oh, about signs that. that we had been That there. money is buried oh, in Herbert's old haunted house. Hey, we've got as much right to dig Herbert in it as anybody. Now, an hour from now, that whole cellar will be dug up, and we want to get there first. So come on, let's go. Betty will show us the way. Won't you, Betty? So you see, Doctor... My plan for getting rid of Herbert was a perfectly good one. I'm not ashamed of it a bit. And if his silly stunt for that moronic program spoiled everything, I'm prepared to take the consequences. A lady does what she has to without regrets. There's only 
One thing I want to ask you. Since Herbert is dead, why doesn't he stop laughing? Can't you hear him? Doctor, make him stop. Make him stop laughing like that. Day and night I hear him laughing. I can't stand it anymore. I can't stand it. I like that for the very ending, that she will be forever haunted by his laugh. She will always be hearing it. That's a fate worse than what Laura met in I'll Die Laughing Right. But I have to say, not 100% convinced that they would have had to confess. Sure, everyone from the TV show and the party go to Herbert's haunted house. They find his body does that mean that Jack and Betty were the ones who killed and buried him? They could stick with their story, couldn't they? Perhaps I'm forgetting some detail where they said, oh, maybe we've heard from him since he left. But if not, then it's just their own lack of nerve that would lead them to confess. I mean, anyone could have kidnapped him and driven him there, right? And killed him, buried him. I think they should have uh, fought a, a little bit. We get the feeling that as soon as those people said, hey, let's go, let's go dig it up the basement ourselves, that Jack and Betty confessed. To be so strong and single-minded throughout a murder, and then to crack like that at the least provocation? Come on, Betty. Be a lady. That's it for You Can Die Laughing. Let's get our outro from suspense and see who's responsible for this Frankenstein resuscitation of a dead body or two. Suspense is produced and directed by Bruno Zerato Jr. Musical supervision by Ethel Huber. Featured in tonight's story... Were Ian Martin as Herbert Willoughby, Lee Vines as Jolly George Gordon, Gertrude Warner as Jean Rexford, and William Mason as Bill Rexford. Listen again next week when we return with Bells, written by Jack Bundy, another tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. France in Focus, David Schoenbrunn's Your Man in Paris weekdays on the CBS radio network. <laughs> France doesn't seem like the country we would be most interested in in 1961, but maybe this was the lighter side. What is that next episode coming up? Bells? Why, we also covered that in season two. That was our seventh episode of season two, S2 Ep7, Bells. And that was one tremendous episode. Remember? Do you remember? Cast your mind back. <laughs> since that's what we're doing this whole time. Good episode starts out with you really wringing your hands like, oh, man, this is not going to be good. And then it turns itself right around and does that hokey pokey right into maximum spookiness. So if you're in the mood, listen to that too. But for now, we have reached our finish line. We have pulled up at our haunted house and we are taking our shovels down to our ever-present, ever-loving seller. 
to put paid to this episode. We are done. (sighs) You just have to wonder when something like this happens. What was up with the writer? You know, in 1961, yes, I could have ghosted this, but I just didn't do it. You know, I don't think the sealed book was still on, but it had been in syndication in the 50s. Did the writer hear it? And as we do, mull it over. Now, they didn't have the opportunity to listen multiple times because they didn't have the internet. Did he mull it over? Did it stay in his mind? Did certain details persist? Like, what was that one about the guy who was always laughing? He had a really dumb laugh, and his wife was cheating on him. What would I do with that? What what could you do? And then he just came up with this episode? Or did he know that sealed book episode well? And he said, you know, I'm going to redo this. I'm going to change the wife character. I'm going to make it about her. And it's going to be something new. Either way, should have been some residuals paid to the writer at the sealed book. I'm sure that didn't happen. Or is it just a symptom of the end of suspense? Like they were, what what month was this in 61 that this was on? Yeah, this is one of their very last episodes. This is July, July 30th of 1961. So suspense was on its very last fume. And maybe just totally ripping off another show's episode was as much as they could do. Well, I used to be there. I could ghost around again travel back in time and figure it out. But I think we've done all that we need to do right here, right now. Wherever we may be sitting in Fort Myers, Camberwell, Kerwinsville, or Mount Pleasant. So we're not going to push our luck trying to do anything more. All we are going to say at this point is, it's time for us to hit the road once more so that we can come back together again next week. So, go your way this week. Be safe. Be happy, and I'll see you soon. I wasn't as dead as you thought, my dear.